Hi, I'm Marty. And I'm Effie. And we are the Mums, Mysteries and Murder podcast. Each month we take turns bringing you mysteries and true crime stories from our respective homelands, Australia and Scotland. But be warned, there's no shrimps on the barbie or we jimmies. <laughs> Excellent accent, Marty. No one has shrimps on the barbie in Australia. It's prawns and oh. they don't have prawns on the barbie. Oh. Anyway. Disappointed. You can find us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and join us over on Mums, Mysteries and Murder on Instagram. It's not big or clever, but it is entertaining. Everybody. Welcome back. This is episode 19. Welcome back. I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey. And we're True Crime B&B. And you just heard a trailer from Mum's Mysteries and Murder. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> our friends over from Australia and Scotland, Marty and Effie. And I think you would really like them a lot. They have a great interaction and they have good research and they tell really good stories. And they're pretty fun to listen to. And they're so. fun to listen to. So give them a chance, please. Yeah. And today I'm the bad guy. You are the bad guy, so what are you bringing? I mean, I'm usually the bad guy, but sometimes You're I tell the my mom, stories. it's your job. And today with my story, it is episode five of Architect Mayhem. Okay, we're on five already of I Architect? think we're on five already. We're going to have to start a series for a while. <laughs> anyway. All right. So in May of 2005, Mark Urosik was living in Illinois. He was married and he had children and he was working as a design architect and project manager for Pierce Cooley Architects in Chicago. He made a trip to Las Vegas that month and on this trip he met Sarah C. Her last name has been omitted from the record, who was also at that time married and had children. Sarah lived in California with her family, but they met in Las Vegas, Nevada. They did not immediately begin having an affair, but they were very attracted to each other and very interested in each other, so they remained in contact. Within six months, they had started a long-distance relationship. Sarah, by this time, had left her husband and was finalizing their divorce. Mark decided to carry on the affair secretly until his wife confronted him with her suspicions. During the argument that followed this confrontation, Mark Urosik put both hands around his wife's neck and tried to choke her. He did not kill his wife, but obviously the marriage ended in vitriol and Mark moved away to California to be with the now-divorced Sarah. So his wife did not press charges or anything like that? She did not. She just wanted him the hell out of there. I mean, I don't blame her, but I'm just wondering. Okay. She's like good riddance mother. So Mark found employment with West Coast Design Professionals in Ladera Ranch, California, starting in December of 2006. Sarah bought a new home and Mark moved in with her. As part of his living arrangement with Sarah and her children, Mark was supposed to contribute rent towards the household. Around 2008 and 2009, the economy was tanking. Everybody was just going nuts because there was no work for architects. Oh, I remember. (laughs) Many thousands of architects around this country and probably around the world either lost their jobs or had to take pay cuts in order to keep their firms afloat. So his income went way down at first and then he was eventually laid off from work. But since his income had stopped, he became inconsistent with paying his share of the household, which led to arguments with Sarah. I mean, obviously. Yeah, of course. As the relationship became frazzled, Sarah told Mark to start sleeping on the couch downstairs. She's like, this isn't sexy anymore. (laughs) Hit the road. Man baby. Just go downstairs. So (laughs) 
Sarah might have been more understanding of his situation if she knew what it was, except that Mark had told her he was still going to work every day. He had never told her about being laid off, so Sarah had no idea why he was refusing to be reliable in paying his share. She probably thinks he has some kind of gambling addiction or something weird behind that. Yeah, she just doesn't understand. Why did you say you would come here and pay me rent, and now you're just not paying me rent? Yeah, she she had no idea. Come forward and say, I lost my job, and that's a lot more sympathetic and understanding than just lying about it. I think that the problem, and this happens with a lot of people, Mm -hmm. is that when they lose their jobs, especially men and especially professional men, they identify so much of their whole selves as their job. And so when they lose their job, they lose their minds. They just don't... It's like, who am I? Exactly. They don't know who they are anymore. They feel like they are carrying on this false life. And Mm -hmm. so Sarah knew that they had to discuss this because he can't keep living, sleeping on her couch forever. They aren't even in any kind of intimate relationship. So to discuss it, she agreed to sit down with Mark and talk about their differences. Mark suggested a coffee shop, and Sarah said okay, and she met him there. When she walked in, Mark was sitting and chatting with another female customer. He acknowledged Sarah, and then he went to the counter to buy coffee for them both. While he was gone, the female customer he was talking to approached and disclosed to Sarah that every day, instead of going to work, Mark had been meeting her there at this coffee shop every day for months. Mm. Yeah. Sarah said, this was the last straw. I was the straw that broke the camel's back and told Mark he had to move out. Well, he's literally bringing negative stuff to the table at this point. <laughs> like yeah. I mean, I don't think they're having an affair or anything. I just think that he goes there every day and he just chatting up this woman every day. But even if they're not having an affair, imagine you're paying his way, he's living on your couch and all this, and then you find out, oh, he doesn't have a job and he's going to hang out with this other woman all day. I don't care if you guys are having an affair or not. That's just beyond wrong. (laughs) Yeah. So Mark was basically destitute at this point with no money, nowhere to go. So Sarah, trying to be merciful, offered to let him stay in her family's 20-foot travel trailer that was in storage at an RV lot in Irvine. Mm -hmm. She's just, I don't want you around, but I also don't want you living on the street. So she asked for the house key back and told him, don't come back to the house without my permission. Mm -hmm. You can't be just stalking around here and showing up whenever you want to. He made it clear that he felt really humiliated to be relegated to staying in a recreational vehicle trailer But Sarah continued to see him one or two times a week, possibly because she was trying to keep him grounded, not to feel totally isolated. He Mm -hmm. didn't know anybody out here except for the people he had worked with, and now he didn't even work there anymore. So she's trying to do nice things to make it less awful for him. Yeah, and as an empathetic person, he's already lost his job, which is a huge part of his identity. Now he doesn't really have a place to live, and now if he has no friends, that's when people snap, for sure. Yes, you're exactly right. I get it. So one time they took a walk together on a nature trail and she at this time had begun to feel uncomfortable, a little bit afraid being around him. She felt like he was a little bit unstable. Mm -hmm. And as they're walking on this nature trail, Mark starts getting very upset and angry because he's not getting everything in his life that he wanted to have. And she wants to leave because she's feeling uncomfortable and he won't let her leave. So Sarah's like, okay, The best way to get this guy out of my life is to help him find a job Mm -hmm. so that he can refocus on something aside from me, aside from our tattered relationship. Mm -hmm. So 
When Mark asked Sarah to let him use her computer for his job search on May 15, 2009, she agreed to allow him to use it, but she didn't want to be there with him while he was doing it, so once he arrived, she left to have dinner with some friends. While she was at the restaurant, Sarah saw Mark drive past the restaurant two separate times. Upon her return home at 9.30 p.m., Mark was back working on the computer again. Sarah confronted him and demanded an explanation for why he had followed her to the restaurant, which resulted in an argument. But again, since Sarah just wanted him to find a job and get him out of her life, she told him to finish what he was doing there and then leave. She went upstairs, she shut and locked her bedroom door, and she got into bed. Shortly thereafter, Mark followed her upstairs and stood outside of her bedroom door, berating her and continuing to argue with her. He removed her doorknob. It's one bad thing about architects. We're pretty damn handy. Yeah, unfortunately. He removed her doorknob, thereby being able to open the door and force his way into her bedroom. Mark Urosik stormed over to the bed, immediately grabbed Sarah by the throat. Remember, they did the same thing to his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Forced her back onto the bed and started to choke her. With one hand, he continued to choke her, while with the other, he undressed her from the waist down, and then he raped her multiple times over the next several hours. As she chokingly begged him to stop and let her go, he spat at her, you're not going to tell me what to do. He then attempted to show he could do whatever he wanted by sodomizing her, but she managed to flip over so he was unable to do that. Throughout the night, he kept his hold on her, and she felt that she had no means to escape. In the morning, she told him that she needed to leave to attend a funeral, and he said, no, you're not going anywhere, and then he raped her again. Eventually, Urosik allowed Sarah to take a shower, And while she did that, he reassembled the doorknob and put it back on the door. When she came out of the shower, she dressed and left the room without Urosik following her. She got downstairs and then she just fled to a friend's house for safety. After consulting with a friend and later with her father and brother about what Urosik had done to her, she went to the West Anaheim Medical Center for a rape kit examination. The sexual assault nurse examiner found two bruises on her legs, redness on the cervix, and lacerations and abrasions consistent with forced sexual intercourse. Sample swabs contained Urosik's DNA. On May the 17th, Sarah, trying to get more proof that this was rape and not just rough sex, mm-hmm. Sarah made three recorded phone calls with Urosik to try to get him to admit what he had done. In the first call, he denied choking her, but he didn't respond to the rape issue. In the second call, Sarah asked what Mark would do to anyone who did this to his daughter, to which he replied he would beat the shit out of them. In the third call, Sarah asked Mark to meet her to talk about what had happened, and upon arrival there, he was arrested. He was then charged with rape and attempted sodomy by force, and the court issued a protective order preventing Urosik from any personal, electronic, telephone, or written contact with Sarah. While he was detained awaiting bail, Urosik spent several hours complaining to a cellmate about a stupid bitch and saying that he had a problem he wanted to go away and wished he could get rid of his girlfriend. And that since the cellmate, Timothy Ryan, was incarcerated on drug charges, surely he knew of someone who could kill Sarah. Mm. Timothy was shocked by the suggestion because he was a low-level drug dealer. He was not a murderer or any kind of gang affiliation. uh, Well, yeah, that sounds like the type of person you don't tell because he's going to switch on you so freaking fast. I'm sorry, that's dumb on his part. I already... It was dumb, but, but remember how arrogant this, this Urosik is. You know, He's it's just... one of the benefits of them being arrogant. They're also dumb. Yeah, they can be. 
because they assume that they're smarter than everyone else. Mm-hmm. So Timothy was shocked, but he was just kind of assuming Urosic was not serious. He was like, I don't know this guy. I have no idea whether this is real. Don't want to be part of this, but to maintain jailhouse bravado, he said he would see what he could do. Mm-hmm. He didn't have any intention of doing anything, but he didn't want to look like a patsy mm-hmm. to this guy. So on June 6th, Urosic made bail and was released from the jail. On June 7th, he called Sarah's neighbor, Gabrielle, and asked her for help getting the rest of his belongings out of Sarah's house. Gabrielle hadn't expected this call. She was totally caught off guard. Being stunned by this, she said she'd see what she could do, and after hanging up, she immediately went over to Sarah's house to discuss this call with her. While Gabrielle and Sarah were upstairs talking, I remember this is right after this phone call came. Okay. This is just very shortly afterward. They heard Sarah's children downstairs screaming and crying. Sarah's son had seen a man's hand reaching through the window blinds, and when the boy started to scream, the hand pulled back out of, you know, out of the blinds. So the police came, and they checked for fingerprints. The ones on the window and the pushed-out screen were a match for Mark Urosic. How the heck? He just came, and he just shoved the screen in, and he was... Oh, so the window was open, I think he was trying to reach around to open the front door. I gotcha. Okay, gotcha. The next morning, Sarah dropped her kids off at their school. She was planning to run home and get the mail, and then she was going to return to the school for an assembly that was scheduled for later that day. As soon as Sarah pulled up and got out of her car, Erosic raced up to her and started beating her in the face and the body. She had been totally blindsided, and she was also in a cast for a broken ankle, so she fell down to the ground. Mm-hmm. Erosic jumped on top of her, grabbing her hair in his hands, and began beating her head against the curb. As he's doing this, a neighbor driving by jumps out of his car and demands that Urosic stop what he's doing. Urosic kind of acknowledges him, like makes eye contact, and then he just turns back and continues beating her head into the curb. So the neighbor's like, what the hell, buddy? So he tackles him and puts him in a chokehold. Another neighbor just happened to be coming by, immobilized Urosic's feet until the police arrived. So Urosic, of course, made up a series of lies as to how he ended up at Sarah's house because he wasn't supposed to be there. There was a protective order against him trying to contact her or coming around the house. (laughs) You know, he's making up all these lies. And in the end, after the police have listened to him trying to explain this all the way, the officer says, you wanted to hurt her, you attacked her, and that's why you went over there, isn't it, Mark? And Urosic's response was, yeah. I mean, I would love to hear the excuses he tried to make of how the hell he ended up at her house. It was something to do with his mom was going to go over and pick up the clothes from Gabrielle, but then the mom got lost on her way to the house, and Mark was nearby where the mom was going to drop the clothes off to Mark. And so Mark's like, well, my mom can't find the house. I'll just go. I'll just run down there right now and get them myself. Doesn't matter. You... It was a bunch of bullshit because yeah. none of it went down that way, and he wasn't allowed to be anywhere near that house. Mm-hmm. So Balls. <clears throat> yeah. Sarah spent 11 days in a coma at Mission Hospital. Mm -hmm. Her injuries included an 8.5 inch scalp laceration, which is like 21.5 centimeters for our non-American friends. Mm -hmm. This laceration was so deep that it exposed her skull. 8.5 inches. That's literally like half scalped completely. Yeah. That's so awful. She had a cerebral concussion, which led to memory loss. She lost her sense of smell. And this extreme head, head trauma also affected her speech. So, back to the guy from the jailhouse. Mm-hmm. After seeing the news reports about Urosic's attack on Sarah, 
Timothy Ryan, the cellmate who had been asked by Mark about hiring a hitman to kill his girlfriend, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, shit. He was actually serious. Yeah, he's really gone and done this. Yeah, so he really tried to kill this woman. Mm-hmm. So Timothy approached the jail sergeant with this information, which he had previously doubted to be true, like I said. Mm-hmm. When he was asked what he hoped to get out of his assistance, Timothy was supposed to get out in two months anyway. Yeah. So there wasn't anything they were going to do for him. You know, that he wasn't trying to get a shorter sentence or anything. He just knew he had to tell them this. And he was also scared that if Sarah died, that because he had had this conversation with Urosik earlier, that somehow he might be implicated as part of the problem here. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. So after talking to a detective, Timothy agreed to have a recorded conversation with Urosik. On the day of Urosik's arraignment, Timothy Ryan and Mark Urosik were placed together in a transport van. So he was headed to the courthouse and they stuck them both in this little van together and there was a recording device hidden in there. Timothy's instructions were to simply attempt to continue this conversation with Urosik as to whether he still wanted to kill his girlfriend. In the van, Timothy manipulated the conversation back to where Urosik was describing he never should have attacked her himself, he should have just gotten Timothy's friend to do it, and now he wouldn't be facing possible life sentence. Mm -hmm. And Urosik also said if he had known for certain, or if he knew for certain that he was going to get life, that he would just have her taken out now as revenge. Timothy also added that if Sarah was killed before the trial, there would be a better chance of not being prosecuted because there would be no witness. Timothy's saying this to Urosik. And Urosik's like, yeah, it was consensual. It was all consensual sex. Well, it was consensual for me. He said that on tape. Also, what part of banging her face into a fucking curb is consensual sex to you? No, he's he's saying, well... And I get that he's, like, making a joke, like, uh, it's consensual for me. But what part of that makes sense? Even if she's dead now, there's no witness. Okay, that wasn't consensual sex. None of this makes sense. He's talking about the rape charges. I know, but it's just... I just don't like this guy. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But, I mean, I understand the whole point is that Timothy's trying to get him to say, yes, I want her dead. No, I I totally understand it. This is just infuriating to hear. I know. He's an infuriating guy because he's such a douche. Urosik explained that all he ever wanted was to make some money, bring his kids out from Illinois to California, and now he couldn't do it because of some fucking whore. Because she's the one who caused all of his problems. And that was when he got the idea of what he would like for Christmas. He would like the murder to be recorded on videotape so that he could watch it himself on Christmas Day. He also fantasized that if he got out, that he would kill her, chop her up, maybe put her in a box alive and bury her six feet down to let her think about what she's done. Because he's the real victim here, right? So in my mind, I don't understand what the hell he thinks that she did to him. Because she tried to be good to him the whole freaking time. Mm -hmm. It's that tiny little man crap that they pull where it's, oh, I did something bad. I have to blame all of this on the one person who's giving me attention still. Yeah. Because yeah. it clearly can't be my fault. It's just, it is infuriating. <sighs> so the taped conversation ended with Timothy saying to Urosik that if he agrees and if Timothy starts to set this murder in motion, quote, once I start, there's no stop. And Urosik replied, that's okay. So Urosik was convicted of two counts of forcible rape, one count of attempted forcible sodomy, four counts of disobeying a restraining order, four counts of attempted murder, and solicitation to commit murder, all with premeditation and deliberation and of inflicting great bodily injury upon the victim. 
He was sentenced to 31 years to life in prison. He appealed on the grounds of the taped conversation with Timothy Ryan, saying that that never should have been allowed in, but this was denied in the appeal, and he is still in San Quentin prison. One thing that he does in prison is to run. There's a running club at San Quentin, Mm -hmm. and every year they hold the San Quentin Prison Marathon. On November the 22nd, 2019, Mark Allen Urosik was the winner of this marathon with a time of 3 hours, 16 minutes, and 38 seconds, which is 6 minutes slower than the prison record. His comment after the marathon was, running takes you out of this place. You know what else? If you don't try to kill people and don't rape people, you don't have to be there in the first place. Urosik, who has lost his architecture licenses. Well, finally, one of them does. <laughs> Jesus. He does have a master's degree, and he now tutors other prisoners, helping them to study for their GED so that they have a chance to attend college after their release. So at least he's doing some small bit of good in the world. But his license in Illinois has been invalid as of November 30th, 2010, with the status of refused to renew, meaning the state refuses to renew it, not he does. Oh, I was going to say, so he didn't lose, like he just didn't renew it. It's listed that way so that if he tries to reapply, they, it's like... You were denied, buddy, sorry. Yeah, screw off, screw off, criminal, meaning that he's no longer eligible for licensure there. And in California, it expired as of April 30th, 2009, and it has the status of non-renewable. Good. So, one additional comment about Mark Urosik. I looked this up. There are about 116,000 licensed architects in the United States, of which I am one. Yes. So if you look at that like it's a small city, it's a a fairly small field. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at the number of teachers as opposed to architects, there's probably 20 times as many. Sure, yeah. So I looked up Mark Urosik on LinkedIn, and he's a third-degree contact of mine. You know, so when you look on LinkedIn, it says, first, if you are already connected with that person... Second, if it's somebody who's connected to someone that you're connected to. Mm -hmm. And third, if it's one more... It's like a third cousin, basically, but professionally. (laughs) Yeah, so he's a third-degree contact of mine, and that means there are three professional people between him and me. He only has four contacts left. So if he had maybe 100 contacts when he was arrested, Mm -hmm. and people saw what he had done, a lot of them probably said, whoa, 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 I don't need my future bosses seeing that I'm affiliated with this guy. So uh, even even with only four contacts left, I'm still a third-degree contact of his. Well, you're both architects from the Midwest, so I guess it's not that... It's definitely unsettling, for sure, but... I just thought it was so bizarre. I'm like, holy shit, I'm actually not that far off from this guy. So, Architect Mayhem this week is... He's a really bad asshole, and I don't... You know, I understand that people lose lose their minds a little bit when they lose their jobs and mm-hmm. it's a really humbling and awful experience it's scary you don't know what's coming up next for you mm-hmm. but you don't get to rape people and you don't get to m- try to murder people just yeah. because your life is all in disarray it's nobody's fault but your own like you have to have accountability you have at, to at that point frustrated. I'm sorry. i get it at that stage in 2008 and 9 mm-hmm. so many good architects lost their jobs He may have been a really good architect, Mm -hmm. but he was an asshole before he moved to California because he tried to choke his wife in Illinois. Has he ever thought maybe karma came for him a little tiny bit? (laughs) Something came for him, and I think it was a little van that had (laughs) a handcuff port on it. (laughs) Um, So what, do you know what happened to Sarah afterwards? Like, is she okay? 
okay-ish. She recovered, but I don't know what the long-term neurological effects For of sure. her brain injury were because, I mean, he really, really injured her. She was probably not that far from dying because she was in a coma for 11 days. You know, yeah. they probably had to release pressure from her brain and all those really delicate things that they have to do to... Yeah, and I think like two weeks of being in a coma is pretty close to when they're like, well, there's probably like a 50-50 chance they're not gonna wake up, and yeah. she came pretty close to that, so. Yeah, so <sighs> hopefully she has recovered, and maybe she's moved, <laughs> you know? I wouldn't want to live in that house and, and glad- see that spot every day. Yeah, I'm glad that they're not releasing her name, because you know what? She yeah. got through that. She doesn't need any more on her well, shoulders. You know, even at the beginning of this, when mm-hmm. she realized that she had this connection with him, mm-hmm. she didn't have an affair with him. She went to back to her home and she worked out with herself, I need to end my marriage before I can start this affair mm-hmm. with him. And he didn't. And so, yeah, there's a little judgment there because you're having an affair with a married man. But on that, on the other hand, she, on her end, did her part did her part and maybe he told her that a divorce was already in the works i mean if if you're a rapist and attempted murderer i don't have to think that you're not gonna lie to you yeah oh my gosh you you did all of that no way did he become an adulterer (laughs) that's not possible exactly oh yes so that is the end of architect ma'am episode number five well i hope he rots (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think it was 2010 when he went to prison. That was 12 years ago, so he's got at least 19 more years. Would you say 35 to life or something like that? 31, but... Well, especially if you consider the fact that he was so unremorseful. It, oh, yeah. It just... He yeah. didn't go, oh, I got caught. My bad. I won't do that again, guys. He got going, oh, I can't wait to chop her into bits and I can't wait to do this. And, and bury I... her underground and let her think about what she did. And, you know, I was thinking he's doing something of a good thing by doing this tutoring but he's only doing that to be a model prisoner you know sorry he's only <laughs> he's only doing that so that he looks good when he comes up for parole mm-hmm. so he's not doing it out of the goodness of his heart yeah and i mean it, it is nice that the, at least the other prisoners who are in there for lesser charges are getting something out of it because he's got to be a pretty smart man i mean he is an architect but it's just yeah I know. At least that didn't go to waste. <laughs> exactly. So, do you have this week? What's your happy thing? Give me a happy, give me a happy, give me a happy, 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 You're happy. actually going to be really shocked by how similar our stories are this week. Oh, God. You have an architect that murders and buries <laughs> people six feet underground while they're still alive? No. Okay, good. Not even close to an architect. My story this week, I am going to tell you the story of Melissa Dome, who was born January 10th, 1992 in Clearwater, Florida. Okay. No, I do not know that name. There wasn't really a whole lot that they talked about her early life and stuff, but in high school in Clearwater, she started a relationship, it sounded like her senior year of high school, with a man named Robert Burton. Okay. So they began dating, and they quickly became really close, absolute best friends. They were together all the time, and he was kind of a loner, and he would confide in her before they even started dating about how he was passed back and forth between his mom and grandmother. He had a very tumultuous relationship with his family, and then later on his mom remarried, and she had all these kids with the new stepdad, and he was just the lone wolf in the family. So Okay. So what Melissa did after they started dating, she brought him into her family, and basically her mom became his mom. And that's just, they were all very close. He was close with her sisters and everything. 
And it was just, it seemed like the perfect couple. He was constantly bringing her flowers. He was constantly boosting her up and showing her off every time they would go out. So everybody just really, it was a very picturesque relationship. Okay. And then what? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) When Melissa graduated high school, she actually had a total of 600 hours volunteering with the local hospital just from her high school career. Wow, that's a lot of hours. Because she wanted to be a nurse. So she was like a candy striper and doing all that stuff at the hospital just to get some experience. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, of course, her senior year, she began applying to different nursing colleges, and she ended up getting into nursing college nearby. Okay. And it was one of those ones where you could fast track, where normally it'd be like four years to get your bachelor, but this one would be in two years. Oh, wow. Okay. So she got in, and it was going to be really studious, a lot packed into one, but it would be a shorter time for her. So, awesome. So when she got into this college, Robert didn't like this because he had no prospects, He had no money to go to college or even hadn't even bothered to apply. And he was basically after high school, had nothing. He had to get a job at the local gas station and that was what his life was seeming it was going to be. Wow. So the jealousy in him started to come out and he slowly over time just started to change his personality towards her, but only in private. So he started talking down to her. It just started small by calling her names and he'd call her stupid and dumb and tell her, I don't know how you got into that. You're not smart enough to complete this. You should just drop out now. Stuff like that. I don't get that. I don't get it at all. If you're with someone who wants to achieve something with their life, Mm -hmm. either support them or get the hell out of the way. And let them have somebody that's going to appreciate as much work as they're putting in for not only if you're together... Not just their future. That's for your guys' future together. And he doesn't want to have her outshine him. Of course. He's yeah. insecure and he doesn't want her to outshine him. Exactly. Jeez. So she started to kind of see this change in him. And she was like, this isn't okay. And I don't deserve this. So she's tried actually walking away a couple of times where she said, I'm done. I'm so busy with school now. I can't deal with your bull crap anymore. Yeah, I'm but time for this. Every time she would try to break it off with him, he would threaten that he was going to commit suicide. And she was a very empathetic person. She's a nursing student. Of course she's empathetic, you know? So he would just tug at her heartstrings and apologize like they always do. Like, I won't won't talk to you like that anymore. I promise. I just, I'm going to kill myself if you leave and stuff like that. So she stayed. And eventually... And she's too young to realize how manipulative that is. Yeah, they're together from like 18 to 20, I believe. Yeah. He eventually, of course, escalated from just talking down to her and making her feel worthless to putting his hands around her throat, like your story. Mm-hmm. But he did eventually let go. She never lost consciousness or anything like that. But she told him, that's it, you need to leave. Like, after he laid hands on her, she decided that was enough. And he started saying, well, you're not going to leave and you're not going to tell anybody because I have a key to your house. Your parents gave me keys to your house. You tell somebody, you go to the police... I will come in here and kill your mom in the middle of the night and all this stuff. So now she's terrified, not just for herself. She's scared he's going to do something to her whole family. Well, at this point, you go change all the locks right now. Mm-hmm. And, the thing and you is, tell people to look out for him. And the thing is, she just didn't know what to do because her family didn't even know this was going on. She was embarrassed, to, which I understand as an 18-year-old, you're embarrassed. Oh, this guy's treating me like this. But as an older person now, I'm like, girl, you could have totally told your mom this was going on and she would have whooped his ass for you. Yeah, speaking from the mom point of view, if you came to me and said, somebody that I absolutely adore as your friend, this person has threatened me, this person has threatened all of us, I'm like, okay, that motherfucker's gone. (laughs) Better yet, he put his hands around my throat. Yeah, and at that point, I'm punching him in his (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, we're not even going to the police. We're taking care of this ourselves. <laughs> no. 
but I understand her point of view where it's like you don't you don't think it's gonna go further than this but anyway in October of 2011 she was 19 at this point they got into another heated argument she was still living at home with her sister and her mom so she was living in the house with them and they got into an argument there and Robert began just punching her and pulling her hair and slamming her up against stuff and she actually ran out of the house and down the street and called 911. And they played this, there's a 48 hours episode for her. Did you say that the mom was there or the sister was? So her mom is home, but her sister is not home. Okay. So she runs out of the house just to get away from him and calling 911. He starts chasing after her and they played this phone call on the 48 hours. And as she's talking to the operator, she starts saying, I don't see him anymore. I don't think he's chasing me. And then she realizes, oh my God, he still has the door unlocked. My mom's in that house. I don't know what he's going to do. So she turns around and starts running back to her house to go get eyes on him at least and stay on the phone with the 911 operator. Yeah. At this moment, he snuck up and just grabbed her and starts attacking her again. But luckily, at this exact moment, as he laid hands on her again, two police officers arrived to the scene, and they arrested Robert that day for domestic battery. God, it's just like the shoes coming down the stairs in the Lasley sisters. Well, she didn't directly say they didn't really handle it that well, the police officers, but they were just kind of not very nice to her when they interacted. (sighs) I have a quote that she gave to CBS News where she said, They told me basically, you know, we don't want to keep coming out here. The girl always goes back, and they say, we don't ever want to see you again. And they probably meant, like, hey, don't go back to him. Like, we don't want to see... But just word that a little nicer to someone who just got physically attacked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the first time he's beaten her. That she's reported, yeah. So you didn't see anything from her that said that he had done... Other than the time he choked her. Right. I don't think he'd ever punched her or anything like that. But So yeah, this was the first time it escalated to the point where she was literally like, I think I have a chance of dying in this situation. Well, if his hands are around your throat, you have a chance of dying. Yeah. But yeah, so they took him into custody, and Robert was held in jail for 10 hours, and then given a protection order from Melissa, so he was no longer allowed to come near her. After this, things began to go back to normal, and she was finally getting to hang out with friends again. He'd been so controlling. She hadn't seen her friends since she graduated high school, basically, so two years prior. And she had even started planning a trip to Europe with one of her high school best friends. She was just like, you know what? I'm starting a new chapter in my life. That guy's gone. I finally get to just live as a young adult. On her 20th birthday, she even decided to go skydiving and I kind of worded it ominously. I don't know why. It went fine. She <laughs> skydiving, loved it, had a great 20th birthday. But then on January 24th, 2012, three months after the attack, Robert began just spamming Melissa's phone in the middle of the night. It was a weeknight, 3 a.m., and he just starts calling her, texting her nonstop. And annoyed, she finally answered the phone and told him, leave me alone. You need to stop calling me, and I don't want to hear what you have to say. Just block the number. Well, I think she wanted proof that he was calling her. So I I think I she was kind of saying, like, I'm going to call the police if you don't stop. Yeah. She said she was about to hang up on him, and then he began just sobbing and crying and told her that he just wanted a hug after everything, and then he just wanted closure and to say goodbye. And that's it. They never just want that. I know. She wishes she could scream that to herself, too. But... Oh, my God. And she quoted, It just seemed kind of pathetic, and I really wanted to get it over with so I can just go back to sleep, and so I reluctantly agreed. You know what's strange is that he spends all this time trying to make himself feel like the big man Mm -hmm. by 
talking down to her by abusing her by controlling her Mm -hmm. and then he puts himself in this little weaselly pathetic position Mm -hmm. looking like a very small needy person it's almost sociopathic where he only can turn on emotions when it's to suit him yeah but there's something ironic about letting himself look so vulnerable after all the controlling that he's tried to do Mm -hmm. with her and if you really are needy there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But if but you're pretending to be needy just so that you can play on somebody's emotions, that's just so ugly. It is, and it's that's just the truth of it. It's just that I don't think he was actually feeling these emotions. He just learned that's what makes Works. her feel bad. Yeah, that's what makes her go, well, okay, Robert, I'll, I'll listen. I'll hear you out this time. Yeah. And he's just taking advantage of her in every way he can. Yeah. So when she walked outside that night... She saw him and she said something immediately felt off, but she kept telling herself, just get it over with, give him a hug, be done with it, and then you can go back to bed and never have to see this dude again. So she started approaching him and he had no emotion on his face and he just simply wrapped his arms around her in a hug. They never said a word to each other and then she suddenly just heard a click from behind her back and felt the first stabs happening in rapid fire. So he stabbed her in the back of her shoulder the back of her neck and continued to start stabbing at her face and this is when she realized oh my god my mom nobody knows I'm out here and he's stabbing her in her throat neck everything she can't scream it's really bad she realizes there's nobody here to help me it's three o'clock in the morning in a pitch black neighborhood that is quiet yeah in a matter of seconds Melissa could hear her skull crack from the blade of the knife going through. So How he was did... he getting that kind of leverage from being so close to her? He has multiple weapons, I'll tell you that right now. He has, and I'll kind oh. of list what he has. She doesn't know, though. She just can hear her skull cracking. Oh, my God. And she said blood began to just fill her mouth, and then she began just frantically crawling away from him in the middle of the street, but she felt like she was getting absolutely nowhere. And she couldn't make any sound. Couldn't make it... Well, she could kind of scream, but I think... This all happened probably 10 seconds. Honestly, when you hear a wheezy, screamy sound from outside, you probably think an animal's getting eaten. Or like a coyote, because I know they sound a lot like, I don't yeah. know. But it's just, oh, ugh. God. That's but in the way she described it, just that she was crawling from him as fast as she could, but it felt like she wasn't moving at all. It just sounds like a nightmare, doesn't it? Like, that's yes. how you run away in your nightmares. Yeah, where you just can't <sighs> move very fast at all. So then, suddenly as she's crawling away in the middle of the street, she spotted a girl about her age nearby that was just staring at her with wide eyes like, what the hell did I just see, you know? And she realized, oh my god, yes, she has a cell phone in her hand, she's gonna call 911 for me. So she's like, okay, I gotta fight, you know? So she began to have hope that the woman would call for help, so she keeps fighting back with Robert, but then as she looks up again to see the progress of that phone call, the girl was gone. And she had run away. No way. She didn't even call? She did, but Melissa did not know that. I think the girl just... She she looked dead. Melissa looked dead. Every single person that arrived on the scene said, we saw her laying there and she was dead. Just because she was covered with blood. She was covered in blood. Her face was all sliced and diced. and Yeah. So, of course, that girl's like, I need to get out of here. But she still called 911. She didn't know if she would be next, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Imagine just walking down the street, oh, I just can't sleep, gonna go take a 3 a.m. stroll, and then this happens right in front of you. Yeah, but if she hadn't... (sighs) Yeah. 
Robert continued to hold Melissa down on the pavement in the middle of the road and retrieved a second knife. I think he just had it in his pocket or something. And kept stabbing anywhere he could, just viciously. Melissa doesn't remember a whole lot after that. She was just fading in and out of consciousness because, again, she was losing blood such a fast rate that her body couldn't keep up, you know? <sighs> but she does remember kind of coming to a little bit and seeing Robert's car just speed down the road and drive away because he thought she was dead. And she said, she thought to herself, all right, I keep crying when I say this, so mom's gonna... <laughs> and she said to herself, please don't let my mom come out here right now. <laughs> so the woman who had seen Melissa's attack had actually called 911, and she thought Melissa was dead, like I said. And so Officer Melissa Harris responded to the scene. She was first to arrive, and she said she had never seen someone as injured as Melissa Dome in her entire career well, until she was that night. just chopped. Chopped, she was bloody. Gone through the meat mm -hmm. grinder. Yeah. So she said that she was still alert enough to try to talk to her, but she couldn't speak really easily. So she starts mumbling out Robbie Burton to tell her who the attacker was because at this point, Melissa didn't even think she was going to make it. Right. Yeah. Well, she knew she was about to pass out. Who mm -hmm. knew what would happen after that? Yeah, exactly. She might wake up, she might not. So get oh. this motherfucker in jail. That's right. Wow. So she was having trouble understanding her because of all the blood and she had a lot of severe facial injuries. She was missing a lot of her teeth at this point because he'd been punching her with the butt of the knife and oh stuff my too. God. She did finally understand Robbie Burton and released a below for him. They were on the lookout even while they were trying to save Melissa. So when the fire and rescue team arrived, she had, I've already listed this basically, but she had multiple teeth knocked out, deep cuts on the side of her face, multiple skull punctures from the blades. Both arms were completely butchered and pulverized from the fight that she had put up. <laughs> yeah, she was a badass. She really, most people would have gone down and not come back up again. I mean, she didn't give up this whole time, so. <laughs> yeah, wow. Wow, that's amazing. She was losing too much blood too quickly, and paramedics knew that they couldn't possibly control all the sources of the bleeding because they couldn't find all the sources of the bleeding. Yeah. Her hair was so mad with blood, they were like, we had to stick our hands into her wounds to find where they were on her head. It, it was grief. so bad. Yeah. Oh. So they called a life flight for her. They later found out that she had been stabbed a total of 32 times. Holy shit. In literally 20 seconds. Holy shit. Well, at least this was in a time when life flight existed. Yeah. What are you doing to me? I'm going to go through this really fast because it's another really sad part. But in the meantime, the police woke up Joanne, Melissa's mother, and quickly rushed her to Melissa to say goodbye. Before she went into the helicopter? Because mm -hmm. okay. she wasn't allowed to go with. I think they were, were going to have to do a lot of cracking open the skull, like releasing well, the stuff. Well, that and they have to have medical personnel in there. There's yeah, only she so just much probably room. couldn't fit. Yeah. yeah. So they told her, you can't come, but meet us at this hospital. After arriving to St. Petersburg Trauma Center, Melissa actually died twice in the ER. Wow. And she well, because had, she had no blood. And she had a stroke from all the blood pulling in her head and stuff. Oh. So, But after three hours of nonstop resuscitation, Melissa began to squeeze the doctor's hand and actually ended up surviving the night from the oh. attack. That same night, the same police officer who'd been the first one to arrive on the scene and found Melissa... She actually got a call on her way back to the police station after closing down the scene and everything. And this is how fast it happened. She received a call saying Robert Burton has been found and he was going into custody. So they had found him actually after he had taken a handful of sleeping pills and crashed his car into the side of, of a building in an apparent suicide attempt. And 
was unresponsive at the time, so they first obviously cuffed him and then took him to the hospital to be treated. Mm -hmm. Two days later, he was responsive enough to speak to the police and admitted to having hurt someone, and that's all he would say. Oh, you just hurt someone. They said, do you know why you're here? And he said, oh, yeah, I hurt someone. (sighs) So on top of his confession, they also searched his car, and they found the bloody knives used to attempt murder on Melissa, a baseball bat, a hatchet, and a police baton. Oh my god. So, like, clearly he was taking her down no matter what means it took. Well, I guess at some point you have to be glad he pulled the knife instead of the hatchet. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, oh my god, he did this much with just a switchblade, and then they said there was a longer kitchen knife, but jeez. Oh my god. So, Melissa's recovery was rough. But she'd suffered a stroke from her injuries, so therefore she had some neurological issues with that. She could no longer walk on her own because she had been, had some spinal injuries as yeah. well. And she probably had a bunch of tendons cut and things like yeah, that too. Yeah, and she also had partial facial paralysis, so she couldn't really talk or smile or really use her facial muscles because she had been stabbed so many times in the cheek and face. That poor thing. I know. However, they actually told her at one point, we don't think you're going to be able to walk on your own without a cane or at least something to help you out. But you know what? At that point, she would take that cane and she would be happy to have it. Exactly. She's like, get me out of the hospital. She didn't think she was going to make it alive to the hospital. Yeah, she's happy she made it through the night, so whatever. Yeah. But she did actually eventually, she started working hard with her physical therapist. (laughs) She started working hard. But she did start to slowly gain back her abilities, and she still had her trip to Europe planned. She'd already bought all the tickets and everything. Holy crap, how far out was that trip planned? It was supposed to take place after her graduation in May. So she was supposed to graduate early May, and then May 15th, something like that, she was supposed to head to Europe with her best friend. Wow. So she asked her doctor, is there any chance that you think I'm going to be able to go? Because this attack happened in... January, wasn't Late it? January, yeah. Her doctor actually told her that if she continued working hard every day, she could probably still go. Maybe with assistance, but she could probably still manage to go. So was she not still having surgeries by then to correct all these issues that he caused with the blades? She was still having surgeries, but these were more... She's still having surgeries to this day. So well, you know what I mean? But the life-saving surgeries... We're pretty much done within two to three months. Well, the reason I say that is because if you have surgery, Mm -hmm. a lot of times they won't let you fly because of the air pressure change in the jet. So the cabin air pressure is different from ground air pressure, and I think it causes a lot more issues with... The oxygen doesn't go to your head as... Well, maybe that too, but I think it has to do with clotting as well. It makes sense because they say you're more likely if you sit on the plane for a long period of time without... Moving mm-hmm. your legs, you can get clots in your legs easier. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, they, that wasn't addressed. We are not doctors and we do not play them on TV we know or the podcasts. Bare minimum <laughs> medical knowledge here. We probably <laughs> know a little more than the bare minimum, but we don't know enough to be diagnosing blood clots from airplanes. Yes, yes. <laughs> so she asked her doctor if she could still go to Europe. Her doctor said, well, maybe, but you're really going to have to work, push yourself to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And so this became her entire goal. She said, God damn it, he's not taking my trip to Europe away from me. Well, she got a four-year degree in two years, yeah. so she clearly is someone who does not just sit back and exactly. take it easy. So. Exactly. Only three weeks after the attack, she walked herself out of the hospital with Holy no assistance. crap. No way. Good, yeah. good for her. That's amazing. <laughs> so three weeks after, she walked out of the hospital with no assistance at all. And she left the hospital on a Friday night and returned to class, as usual, full-time, every Tuesday and Thursday, 
continuing that week. So she left Friday, went right back to class, no help from anybody. And just, She's like, I got shit to do. And she got caught up on all her work she'd missed out on, so she was, wow. she was like, you know what, I'm graduating on time. Wow. So she was able to graduate on time that year, and there's another quote from her here. She says, I went from learning how to walk to walking across the stage at graduation all within the same year. <laughs> wow. And I did want to show you this picture, because how cute is this? She is amazing. I can't believe that she accomplished all that within that short period of time. And there oh, she is. Oh, how cute is she? She got to go to Pisa. And... Aw, you've been there. You've been exactly where she's standing. Exactly. Twice, probably. So she ended up going on her after-graduation trip to Pisa. She went to Paris. She went all across Europe. And How many friends did she go with? Just Was one. Just her best friend. Okay. But that's kind of all you want when you're traveling, I feel like. Big groups of people can be frustrating. <laughs> yes, they can. But if you're only there with one person, sometimes you're like, okay, I'm sick of being around you now. That's true. Sometimes you want <laughs> options. <laughs> no matter how much you love someone, sometimes you just want them to be away from you. <laughs> Which is why you left me for a week. Yeah, I said, there was no wedding. I just left. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just needed to get away from you, Mom. Good Sorry. for her. I think that is miraculous. And I'm so proud of her for working so hard to get... To get herself just back on track again. Mm-hmm. She's like, screw this guy. So what do you know about what happened to him? Well, we're getting to that. We're only probably three quarters of the way through this story. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were no, done. No, it's okay. Because this you is sh- the best part. We, this usually, is the part we do not want to miss. <laughs> usually when you stop to show me a picture, we're at the end. I just wanted I just wanted to include that because I was like, that's a cute picture. And she looks like you would never know she just got attacked like that. No. So many from that picture. And I'll post that on our Instagram so we're not just talking about a picture you've never seen before. <laughs> anyway, for two years, Robert remained in jail awaiting trial. And Melissa faced him in all of the pre-trial hearings. She showed up to every single one. Good for her. That was just to determine what could be admitted in court and what she wasn't allowed to testify about and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Right as the jury selection to begin trial started, Robert actually addressed the judge and went up to speak to them and decided that he was pleading guilty. Just wanted to skip the trial entirely and he was just going to plead guilty. Whatever is your punishment is what you're going to give me. So whatever. Melissa was obviously relieved she didn't have to go through a whole trial through this. I also suspect that's him saying, well, I can't win. You guys have it all out for me. Everybody's against me. It's poor me. Poor me. I'm just going to plead guilty. Exactly. It's him sitting there like, oh, yeah, I guess I don't look that great in this. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll get more to that in just a second because I'm going to end with what happens to him. All right. So after this, Melissa went on and decided to start giving speeches about surviving domestic abuse and also talking to teenagers about the warning signs of not only you, but your friends, the different resources you can go to. And so she went up and on the very first speech that she ever gave about her experience, she got up on stage and there in the front row, she spotted two of the firefighters who'd been there and saved her life that night. Aw, that's that's so so sweet. Yeah. That's so neat. So she actually began talking to them a little bit after she got done with her speech and just like, oh, how are you guys? Like, it's so great to see you. Stuff how like did that. she remember them? Did they come and see her in the hospital well, after they kind she... Of, she they were, I think they were wearing their uniform. They were, like, still on duty, but they just came in the area or something like that, and they just stopped by, and she was that's got to be them, you know? Okay. So... So she didn't specifically remember them. She re- I don't think she would have remembered their face necessarily, <laughs> but it was more like... After seeing them, it just made sense, you know. Okay. So she went and introduced herself, obviously. Just, hey, I'm conscious now. (laughs) 
And one of them, named Cameron Hill, invited her and her mother to dinner at the firehouse. Aww. And they came, and they had dinner, and all the firefighters were, like, just treating her to this nice dinner. They all cooked her and everything. And so he took her on a little tour and let her try on his uniform, and she got to sit in the truck and go down the pole and everything. <laughs> and well, I bet she did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> Quickly after that, they began talking, realized they had a lot in common, and so he decided to take her shooting, teach her self-defense and stuff like that. Good. Mm-hmm. That was a really vociferous... <laughs> <laughs> so they actually began dating for many years after that, until May 11th, 2015... They didn't break up, that's what I <laughs> When she was asked to throw the first pitch at the Tampa Bay Rays game... And Cameron surprised her by walking out to hand her the ball with Will You Marry Me written on it. Aw, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. I just love it. I'm sorry. I'm such a mess. That is a sweet story. Yeah, so... I mean, the end of it is. Yeah. So... The rest of it sucked, but the the end of it's... Wow. It's like a romance novel. I mean, jeez. Okay. It is. So March 4th, 2017, they tied the knot and... Good for them. That's so great. And she continues to be an advocate and do advocacy work with... It's a place called Julie Wintraub's Hands Across the Bay to prevent teen domestic violence. If you have a chance or have some money to give, it's a really great nonprofit, basically. Now I know what you're wondering. What happened to Robert? Because <laughs> fuck that guy. He deserves to be an afterthought in our minds. Yes. He did end up receiving the maximum sentence for attempted first-degree murder, which is life in prison without parole. Good. And I wanted to... He was going to kill someone someday. He thought he did. He thought he'd killed her because she wasn't moving when he left. And he's like, nobody can survive this. Nobody thought somebody could survive that, but... Yeah, anyone who ever shows him kindness in Mm -hmm. the world was going to turn into his victim. So mm-hmm. he needed to be put away where he would never get out. Yeah. No sympathy for him. None. I just wanted to end the story with a quote from Melissa after hearing the verdict read about her attacker. She said, I had Cameron on one hand and my mom on the other hand and everyone else around me. And you know, I'm walking out here and with my life back, I remember looking at him one more time and they were doing his fingerprints and I watched the door close and I opened the next one and I walked out. I thought, I was hoping that she was going to flip him off on her way out. Nope. (laughs) She did it very peacefully and said, you know what, I've done my part here. And just left him behind. Yeah, I'm turning the next chapter. Yeah. That's amazing. I just love that story because... Yeah, that's... Nobody deserved that more than her. The good part, you mean. The good part. (laughs) Oh, crap, no. I was thinking about something while you were talking about this. And Mm -hmm. this is... A real warning sign for people who are in abusive relationships and they're like well he hasn't done it that many times it hasn't been that bad mm-hmm. it's only happened a few times he choked her once he punched her once mm-hmm. and then he, ch- he tried to kill her yeah so if, if that's not a pretty speedy escalation then I don't know what is just because someone hasn't tried to kill you yet does mm-hmm. not mean that they aren't going to and again just to remind people don't ever blame somebody because they're not leaving as fast as you'd like them to leave either. Because yeah, that's a very real statistic that the most dangerous time is when they leave. Yeah, that's true That's too. why crap like this happens. That's why crap like in your story happens. Yeah, because, well it's not because they left, it's because the other person well, it's, freaks out and exactly, they're like, I've lost control. I've lost control and I can't have that. Yeah. Wow. 
Isn't that crazy how similar of stories we brought together? They were very similar. I mean, they both got attacked basically in the middle of the road. Yeah, so. but he wasn't an architect, so it's completely different. Yeah, at least yours had <laughs> some merit. No, he didn't. He was an <laughs> asshole, no matter no matter what profession. He yeah. could have been a you know a heart surgeon, and he would have still been an asshole. So well, in fact, most heart surgeons are known to be assholes. They might be cold or whatever, but they aren't all out. Murderers, murdering people. Mm -hmm. I doubt very many of them are murdering people. I don't have anything for you this week. I guess I'm done with you then. Well, shoot. So we still want to remind you about Effie and Marty over at Mom's Mystery and Murder Podcast. And I really want to say it in a nice Australian or Scottish accent, but I don't want them to hate me and say, "Beth, you've insulted us." So they're like, "Please delete our trailer from the beginning of your episode. We want no association. (laughs) Don't ever act like you know us again." Even them saying that to us would sound so beautiful to us. We uh, appreciate you being here this week, and Mm -hmm. we hope that we'll see you next week. Next week will be episode 20. Yeah, I think this was a pretty smooth recording, considering we haven't done this in like a month, it feels like. (laughs) That's a lie. That's a lie. This is a rough day. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, everybody. We love you, and we can be found on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at True Crime B&B. And if you want to send us an email... And again, we would love to hear anything you want to tell us in an email. Don't mm-hmm. send us any dick pics. We don't want that. But I mean, no, you, can find us, <laughs> you can find us at truecrimebnbpod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And if you have a second out of your day, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That would make our entire day. Yes. Unless it's a one star, then just, you know, Never that mind. Part. You got better things to do. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. We will talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I'm hoping to lean. Conspi- I mean, it's <laughs> this is such a happy story, too. And do I'm you want me to like, moon you? <laughs> just one booby should do it. <laughs> I think she just couldn't use her facial muscles. Bec- facial muscles? Third time's a charm. <laughs> Did you literally tell the media? I literally <laughs> told the media. Oh, and next week's week 20, right? We already said that. No, this is week 19. I said next week is 20. Oh. <laughs> do, 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 do